This is a test of the emergency podcast system. The emergency? We don't have an episode this week. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for sheepish hosts. I'm disgusted. I've never heard of such a thing before. You, Miss Granger, I thought you had more sense. As for you, Mr. Potter, I thought Gryffindor meant more to you than this. All three of you will receive detentions. Yes, you too, Mr. Longbottom. And 50 points will be taken from Gryffindor. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we are very sheepish. Hi, guys. We fucked up the episode this week. Um, also, this podcast will contain cursing. The audio is all garbled. It got splinched. The episode is somewhere over Bristol. <laughs> so we apologize. We are going to fix that and come back to the chapters that we promised, which were the third task and flesh, blood, and bone. We'll do those next week. But we want to do at least have something for you beautiful people to listen to this week if you are so inclined. So we thought we'd do a little bit of an owl post and Woo. read some of your wonderful notes and missives that you have sent to us lately. So an emergency podcast system would be completely ineffective. It would just be like, hi, whenever you're checking this. There was an emergency. <laughs> Maybe yeah, you should keep your great. podcast feeds uh, refreshed. Yeah. <laughs> so let's first read an email from a listener named Katrina called Relationships Between the Houses. Oh, this was such a good conversation. I'm excited to read this email. Hi, Alex and Heather. I hope you're both doing well. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Thanks, Katrina. Yeah, she says like, 10 really nice things after that that I'm not going to read because that's just ego stroking. But it's very sweet and we appreciate it. In a recent episode, you brought up a topic that caught my attention and that is the idea of a relationship between two people of different houses. As a psychology student, I'm always intrigued by human relationships and what draws one person to another. The common phrase that opposites attract has proved correct in my personal experience. My mom is outgoing and social where my dad is reserved and calm and it works for them. So the idea of Hufflepuff and a Slytherin by that standard should be pretty common, right? Even personality tests such as the Myers-Briggs type indicator says that your ideal or perfect match is your cognitive opposite. So for example, I am an INFJ represent, woot woot, it's adorable, you're so cute. So my perfect match would be an ENFP. However, the validity of these tests are constantly in question and I'm dating an ISFJ, so go figure. I'm not super good at the Myers-Briggs initial things, so I don't actually know what a lot of these mean, but I think probably a lot of you do. So if you don't, those are just personality types. I'm not sure actually what I am. It would be fun to do the Myers-Briggs with characters in Harry Potter, though. I'm sure that's a thing that exists on the internet somewhere. Yeah. But it would be fun to like answer the questions pretending that we're like Hagrid. Actually, shout out to another super good marginally literary podcast. My dad wrote a porno, which all y'all should be listening to if you're not. It's hysterical. They did the Myers-Briggs personality test for the heroine of that book. And I think what they got was like psychopath. 
off <laughs> because that book is nonsense. But I don't the, think that's a personality type no, under Myers Briggs. It's not. But she had like a she had a weird one. There's all these letters, and then one that's just you crazy. Yeah, <laughs> bitch, you crazy. <laughs> But going back to Hogwarts, I think you're right in saying that the positive qualities of a Slytherin could be brought out by a healthy relationship with a Hufflepuff. Or perhaps a hot-headed and impulsive Gryffindor could be brought back down to earth by a reasonable and logical Ravenclaw. I happen to identify as a Hufflepuff where Pottermore sorted me. Though BuzzFeed quizzes have been known on occasion to sort me into Ravenclaw, my boyfriend sorts 50-50 into Gryffindor and Slytherin, but prefers to identify as a Gryffindor, even though he has many baller qualities of a Slytherin. Literal Harry Potter complex, am I right? This dynamic is very interesting in a relationship, and I think what's most important is what we are able to teach each other. He has taught me to stand up for myself and to take care of myself when I'm overworked or emotionally exhausted. I help him practice patience with himself and others, and that putting on a brave face to hide under just to seem strong isn't necessary or even healthy. Had we been at Hogwarts and sorted into different houses, the flourishing relationship may never have been. Gasp. And I agree that putting like-minded individuals together, especially at such a young age of 11, could further perpetuate the stereotypes of each of the houses. That happens all the time with political parties that are isolated, i.e. groupthink. All in all, I think we each have a kaleidoscope of personality traits and values that make up our unique colors and creating a bond with someone whose outer color is different than yours can help bring out your inner colors. So essentially, there's some bold-faced emerald green-ass Slytherin with an inner heart of Hufflepuff gold waiting to shine. Hugs from Massachusetts. Okay, as usual, you are all sweet, beautiful, smart, and lovely people. Yeah, I think this email is like spot on. I think... Like we talked about, it's like crazy to assume that people who are incredibly psychologically similar will make the best friend or partner pairings. So we actually have another letter that builds on that theme. Uh, this is from Janny? Gianni? Yanni? Uh, we're not sure how to say your name, my dear. It's J-A-N-I. Janny or Yanni? Johnny? Hi, I'm sorry, you should send us another email just to let us know how much we butchered your name, but we appreciate you writing to us nonetheless. It says, Hey Heather and Alex, I started listening to your phenomenal podcast like two weeks ago, and I am almost finished catching up. I really love what you do, and your thoughts on wizard economies blew my mind. Thanks! Never thought about that, but the wizards and witches marrying to rich muggle families, the governmental support that to ensure the surviving of the magical race and the reaction of wizard families, it makes so much sense. I'm glad it makes sense to someone. It makes sense to me. Whatever, your thoughts right. make sense to me because I'm around <laughs> you all the time. I love listening to your deep love for the characters and feel with you when you are about to cry, Heather. Heart. Oh, Honey, I am always about to cry. You are so correct about that. And I'm glad I'm not the only one who becomes overwhelmed with emotion when I think about Hermione Granger. Also appreciate your thoughts about gender equality and slavery in the wizarding world. I will write something about these topics in my next E-Owl for sure. Please do. Oh, I can't wait. But right now, the whole house sorting discussion troubles me much more, and I need to get rid of all the things that annoy me about it, though you talked about it already. What are we here to do if not revisit the same quibbles over and over and over again ad nauseum is ad nauseum a spell it should be <laughs> anything vaguely latin yep 
The sorting into different houses doesn't enable children to work and learn in groups with various talents, strategies, strengths, and weaknesses at all. This is a major issue from the perspective of a future teacher. They don't find out what it means to complement each other in terms of character and skills because they mainly compete. Not once in the whole series does someone get points for cooperation across houses. That's that is a really such good point. a good point. Oh my god, you're so right. Okay, we know how it fucking turns out, but like, even if it didn't turn out the most horrifying scene in a book, when Harry and Cedric cooperate, like, they don't get credit for that. Everybody thinks Harry is like a git. And another incident of cooperation ends in <laughs> Cedric's premature death. Yeah. So uh, never cooperate. Wow. I think the sorting hat says, I think in book five, that everybody needs to band together, yet they're still locked in. Constant combat. Constant struggle. Okay. Uh, yeah, one of the only extracurricular activities was a dueling club. Oh my God. Where that's... you can fight other children from the other houses. <laughs> All right. Anyway, there's a lot more here. The listener continues. Teachers encourage students to work and live in homogenous groups and fight the rivals for house cups and dumb overrated sport games. They never learn to value other than the qualities of their own house community. Therefore, they do not experience how to reach a goal together with people that are the complete opposite of them. Which would be an important lesson for life, wouldn't it? Or do they only work in their former house groups in the ministry because they are never trained to deal with one another? Maybe this is why the ministry is really... Like, dysfunctional. You know, like dysfunctional. Yeah. Anyway, continuing. And do they marry former housemates for the most part because of that? Possible. I mean, it seems quite peculiar how erstwhile house rivalry still plays a huge role in a, the adult wizarding world. When it comes to their offspring, grown-ups seem to make a big affair out of the sorting thing. Something that, except for lifelong friendships, marriage decisions, and the inability to work with different people, doesn't affect the after-school lives of little ones all that much, right? No, no. It actually gets worse in terms of that, because as it is, you have a vast risk of raising an opportunist fascist if your sweet baby girl or boy gets sorted into Slytherin house. <laughs> an opportunist fascist. What a badass phrase. That is a bummer for every caring non-Slytherin parent. Can you imagine the situation at home of an all-Gryffindor family when their youngest owls send them the bad news? Having a Slytherin kid must feel like rolling the dice every day. Numbers 1 to 3, decent child. Numbers 4 to 6, put all the hope you have left into your other children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with this email. Telling how bad this one house and only this one house is actually increases the chance of those who become Slytherins to turn out bad. Muggle pedagogues know that kids partly become what grown-ups expect them to be. Phenomenon for decades. The way human psyche works, especially in early childhood, is no secret. The influence of expectation and family background on the kids' outcome is scientifically recognized, and all the multiple benefits of working in heterogeneous groups are also known. Could you imagine muggle schools basically deciding to put all the complicated and troubled kids in one class, and all the intelligent and hardworking ones in another? Oh, and all the kind and sweet ones in an extra class. Well, because why not? I'm gonna break in here. They do in some cases. Were you ever in like a gifted program? I mean, the problem is like we do do that and it doesn't work super well. And we're learning, I think, more and more that like, for example, having like totally like separated special ed classes and totally separated like gifted and talented programs hurt kids because you don't get to, like this listener is saying, you don't get to learn from the strengths and needs of others. Yeah. 
So yeah, we, I mean, in the US anyway, we do do that a fair amount and it doesn't seem to be working super well. And I think there's like new research showing that a lot of these classes should have been blended all along. To say nothing of de facto school segregation by well, race. Well, my which... God, it's a whole other thing. But yeah, I mean, people's experiences lend to one another a great strength. Like yeah. learning from each other's experiences is a really important part of learning, especially as a young person. And you're right. We're being pretty fucking smug about the houses, but we do have essentially, yes, de facto segregated schools in this country. So fuck us. Oh, anyway, continuing with the email. So my question is, what does the magical world hope for maintaining that bad house bullshit? They should get a good secretary of magical education with a muggle degree. (laughs) I like your thinking. And get their shit sorted out. And they better not ask Hogwarts staff for help. I doubt they know about pedagogy for various reasons. Like in many other societies, proper education can solve a lot of the wizarding world's problems. I'm thinking not only of the dark wizards coming exclusively from that one in the dungeons placed hellhole of a house community, but of slavery, gender awareness, and a less 50s attitude about psychological support. Okay, I am done. Excuse my typos and grammar and everything. I am German and writing in English for me is always much harder than listening, reading, or talking. Your podcast is Ersta Sane. I cannot pronounce that. I love it. Greetings from Dresden. P.S. If you ever find yourself interested in a traditional German Dresdener stolen cake, let me know and I will send you an owl around Christmas. Oh! That's so nice! That is the nicest! Also, my dear, we speak nothing else. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Your English is far better than our German. Your English <laughs> is far better than our English often. Um, Please don't apologize for that. And you may send us a cake. Oh I will, my God. I will accept well, a that cake. Well, that made my week. Same. Month, really. Okay. It's going to be a long wait until Christmas. I have got another email to read. And it is from our friend Quinn, who we have heard from before. Woo! They wrote in to tell us all about British boarding school. So remember, Quinn was our oh, guru yeah. mm-hmm. about how the house points and sports ball obsessions were it's a real. real thing, yeah. So Quinn's subject is the House Elf Liberation Front. Hey, y'all. So I was thinking about the presentation of the house elves and specifically SPEW and Hermione's social justice drive, especially considering J.K. Rowling is a very outspoken woman on social issues. SPEW is definitely supposed to be something of a bit in this and the next book. For a long time, I was actually quite angry that Hermione isn't taken seriously on this front because she is absolutely right. The way everyone just rolls their eyes at Hermione's passionate attempt to do some good and improve the lot of the elves always struck me as odd, so juxtaposed to the morals of the series as a whole. Yeah, totally agree. However, I've been reflecting on this quite a lot as I reread along with the pod. Oh my god, I'm so glad that you're reflecting on this and rereading. That's like my dream. That was the dream. And I think now that what JK is trying to do is demonstrate that Hermione is right, but going about it in the wrong way. She is sort of hammering the house elves over the head with her morals and her viewpoint, insisting that the way they live their lives and their entire value system is wrong and she, a human and a witch, knows better than them. She is not being a very good ally, essentially. Reflecting on this now that I'm older, it reminds me a lot of when white Western women insist that Middle Eastern cultures are inherently oppressive to women. Undeniably, there are aspects 
that are misogynistic, limiting girls' access to school, etc., etc., but marching in there as a complete stranger to that society and insisting that your way of doing things is the only good way is not going to help anybody. Yeah, that's an incredible point, especially when we have things like banning hijabs in some countries and like not being super okay with them in most Western countries. So yeah, that's like a super good analogy. Hermione would be much better off getting to know some house elves, a variety of them, some like Dobby and some like Winky, and listening to them and what they would like to be improved about their lot, then using her position as a witch and her power to help. Oh my god, yep, using positional power and privilege to actually elevate the voices of the marginalized. This is how you fucking do it. Probably starting with the requirement for house elves to have good clothing and good safe working conditions, and as these things improved, building up to emancipation. Working with employers like Dumbledore, who are happy to pay house elves and give them holidays and the like, even if he doesn't do it on his own steam. So after thinking about this a lot, I actually think SPEW is a lesson in allyship. That you can be entirely right in your morals, but go about things in such a way that nobody is actually helped even getting to the point where no elves will go into Gryffindor Tower in case they're tricked into taking clothes and essentially being sacked and evicted against their will. Pumpkins and penguins, which we learned from our sister, is a John Green and Hank Green reference, right? Yes. So I'm sorry that we didn't know what that meant. (laughs) I just thought it was a nice thing to say. It's a super cute thing to say. Pumpkins and penguins, Quint. P.S. Thank you for reading my email last week and saying such nice things about me. It made me very, very happy. Well, at this point, it's like, a month ago or no it's like many months ago but you're very welcome and thank you for writing us again we stockpile these well and thank you because you are smart and passionate and these are incredibly interesting and really good points I think SPEW as an analogy for kind of the pitfalls of trying to be an ally without listening is a really that's very trenchant and I appreciate that we've got another e-owl on the topic of house elves Finding an analogy for house elves from Tyler. Hi, I love listening to your podcast and your insights on the books, especially the skepticism of Dumbledore's staffing decisions. (laughs) When I was listening to you discuss Hermione's fact-finding mission to the Hogwarts kitchens and how the analogy to slavery broke down, I realized that I tended to think of the plight of the house elves as a subversion of the idea of Santa's little helpers. Oh my god. Uh, That's a good one, yeah, because elves are... Yeah. Like domestic servants to Santa, too. Oh, my God. Oh, you guys are the best. Okay, keep going. Normally, these magical creatures are seen as not just hardworking, but existentially tied to serving another character's needs. The books seem to take this relationship and apply it to multidimensional characters. Imagining a world where your average wizard on the alley might have this kind of supernatural connection to another being who may not like the situation but is magically bound to this wizard. Of course, many people would abuse their position in that relationship, especially given the menial work house elves have. It's made even more sad by us being able to see the house elves' perspective. I haven't read the later books in years, but I know two of three house elves we meet are definitely miserable with their wizards. It definitely raises a lot of questions about how widespread house elf dissatisfaction is. I just wanted to share this observation with you and say, keep it up. We still have two challenges to go. Oh, that's back when the, uh, I'm assuming those are tri-wizard challenges. Yep, now we have one to go and it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. I always wondered why Santa doesn't, play into these books like literal santa it's weird because I mean, it's, we maybe have it's not weird like but jesus essentially yeah there's like christian hymns but no father christmas yeah the, the 
owls just bring the presents. That's weird. Maybe know. Santa oh, is an weird, owl. But it seems like there'd be some kind of magical take on that, perhaps. Yeah. What is Santa if not magical? Oh my god. Well, maybe Santa's like, that's too on the nose to have Santa be a wizard. Yeah, it probably would be. It would actually kind of suck. Santa himself would clearly be a wizard, though. Oh, He's yeah. A wizard. Dumbledore is essentially ba- like bad Santa. <laughs> or like terrible at his job Santa. All right, let's do one more. This is from Marissa. She says, oh, the subject is snake milk. So you know this shit's going to be good. Hell yes. Alex and Heather, I'm playing some catch up after my sister told me about the quibbler. So a bit behind. So pleased that she shared this with me. I love reliving all these books. Most people in my life are not as obsessed with Harry Potter as I am. And it is so refreshing to get to take a deep look at these books again as an adult. Totally agree, which is why we talk about them literally fucking incessantly (laughs) into your earbuds. I recently listened to the episodes where we see Voldemort drinking Nagini's milk. Gross. I have a theory on why he is doing this that personally I think is 100% accurate. Yeah, stand by your guns, girl. Since Nagini is a horcrux and is carrying bits of Voldemort's soul, her milk also contains his soul. I think that similar to the unicorn blood, Nagini's milk is what is keeping him barely alive at this point, albeit in his foul baby form. Just a thought. Side note, Alex, do not shorten the recaps. Oh my god. Okay, (laughs) this is where this breaks down for me. No, I'm kidding. Your recaps are very popular. Side note, Alex, do not shorten the recaps. These are great and help me remember all the fun random little details since I am not currently reading along. Thanks, guys. Oh, good. Thank you, Marissa. So you guys are geniuses and you should have your own podcast and we should just shut up because these are like amazing letters. The Twitter conversations have been good, too. Yeah, they really have. Uh, There was a good point from listener Molly about why Dumbledore might be missing the Mad-Eye Moody disguise thing. Basically, the Dumbledore, once he trusts you, you're like in. Yeah. Go on Twitter. Follow us at Quibbler Podcast because we do. We have really awesome exchanges with you guys and you guys bring up all kinds of amazing points on there. Yeah, there's there's been some like mega threads. There have been and we love them and appreciate them. So please keep reaching out to us. QuibblerPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us in social media. We get like beyond excited. We get absolutely ecstatic when we hear from you. And it's just incredible to have this community and to be a little part of y'all's beautiful, smart, interesting lives. Thank you for letting us be that. Also, along those lines, we do want to send some love to, we know we have um, some folks who listen in Puerto Rico and in the Caribbean and in Mexico City. And uh, we really are thinking about you guys. This is not just like a lame thoughts and prayers thing. Like we care about each and every one of you and you bring so much joy to our lives and we just, we are thinking of you and yours and we are hoping that you are safe and please take care of yourselves. And check in. Yeah. Let us know how you're doing. You guys are the best. And we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming next week. We'll be reading The Third Task and Flesh, Blood, and Bone. So you've had a couple weeks to steal yourself for that. So Yeah, hopefully you guys are all getting emotionally prepared because it's going to be a rough ride. Thanks, amigos.
three points each. Professor, please, you can't... Don't tell me what I can and can't do, Potter. Now get back to bed, all of you. I've never been more ashamed of Gryffindor students.